the Almighty. All right, now after after class last week, Gene and Kay. I saw Kay. There you are. Thank you. Oh, Gene's not here today. Okay. Okay, thank you. So Gene came up afterwards and, and asked me about the seven spirits. And we just read that in verse uh, four, from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And he said, are you familiar with Isaiah 11? And I am familiar with Isaiah 11, but I wasn't familiar with what he was going to ask me. And as it turns out, um, one of the commentaries that I am using for our study on the book of Revelation is from Dr. Fanning. And notice what he says here. The grace and peace come from the seven spirits before his throne. So we have grace and peace from God the Father, who is, who was, and who is to come. From the seven spirits who are before his throne, then also from Jesus Christ and the descriptions that are given of him. Uh, in 3.1 and in 5.6, we also have reference to the seven spirits. The seven spirits, Dr. Fanning says, are likely to be a reference to the spirit, to the Holy Spirit, so closely associated with the work of the Father and the Son in John's Gospel. And in fact, throughout the New Testament. Stay with me, I'm gonna take another slide here. So referring to the spirit as the seven spirits is a metaphor for fullness drawn from Isaiah 11 too. Well, look at that. Dr. Fanning and Jean agree here, okay? <laughs> Which sees the Lord's Spirit described by seven attributes. Now, turn there with me. Let's look at the passage. Isaiah or Revelation? Isaiah 11, chapter 2. And, you know, this is one of those passages that we often see at Christmas. <clears throat> there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the observation that Dr. Fanning and Jean make are, uh, make are making here is that it looks like we have a sevenfold spirit um, here in Isaiah, and that could be a precursor to what we see in the book of Revelation. Now, as I'm looking at this passage, I, I see that he's identified as the spirit of the Lord, of Yahweh, the living Lord, the almighty God. And then we have six... Uh, descriptions of him. So we have a spirit um, <clears throat> of wisdom and understanding. And in fact, these look to be couplets. So wisdom uh, and understanding, then counsel and might, um, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That makes me think of Isaiah 9. Does it make you think of Isaiah 9? Where we have there... Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. And then we have couplets, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So, 
I think there's something to what these gentlemen are are observing. I don't know how how far along I would follow it because it looks like a name and then descriptions. But nevertheless, the scripture is its best commentary. And so when we see something similar somewhere else, we will want to pay heed to that. Okay, now let me skip ahead here. I'm going to get out of this and go forward to the slides that we want to get to. And that's this one right here. Okay, so let's look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Notice that God the Father is described who, who is, who was, and who is to come. The Spirit is described as the seven spirits before his throne. And the Lord Jesus is described with three different titles. He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. And he's the ruler of kings on earth. And now again, I'm following Fanning here with his comment. Do we need to adjust this, the crackle? Let's let's see how that works. Okay. Uh, So to call Jesus the faithful witness, it can have two references. It can refer to the witness that he provided about himself. And we could go to the gospel accounts, particularly when he was before Pilate and the witness that he bore before Pilate. Um, Let me read the slide here. The faithful, to call Jesus the faithful witness is to refer to his mission of publicly testifying about who God is and what God is doing in this world. So it could also refer to that. The firstborn from the dead is a classic oxymoron. And a great word. Um, typically, we wouldn't think of a firstborn from the dead, would we? I mean, a firstborn is a living thing. You know, it's the firstborn child, and we still have static. And yeah. <laughs> Joe's off to the rescue. Um, I don't know if I'm going to rescue, but okay. we're going to turn that off for just a second. Okay. You turn it off, turn it off. No, turn it off, disconnect, and reconnect. Yeah. That one. <laughs> well, because I think it sounds like a poor cable connection. A volunteer, go kick it if you want. Yeah. We need a professional... Electronics kicker. Oh, no, I, I'm not professional. <laughs> let's see what happens now. Okay. Let's see how we do. Are we okay? No. no? no. Okay. Well, there's only one more thing we can do, and then we're going to have to abandon it if it's not working. Get out work. the megaphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not working. We'll kick against the clicks. So come important to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> it's mostly on that one. Oh, it seems like it's mostly in the right speaker. It seems like it's on both. Is it on both? Okay. I'm not. He's closer to that one. I'm closer to this. Okay, one, let's so. try that. Is that better? So far, so good. So far. Okay. It's gonna Don't wait till I sit down. <laughs> 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 
Okay, so typically when we think of the firstborn, we're thinking of the firstborn among many children from a family, right? We don't think of someone being the firstborn from the dead people, from the pool of dead people. So that's why he says it's an oxymoron. Um, referring, though, to Christ's resurrection and what it means for Christians, because his victory over death is prototypical, guaranteeing resurrected life for those who are his followers. Ken, yes. a question on that. In Colossians, we also see that term, the firstborn of all creation. Yes. And when I was wondering what that mean, I ch- uh, meant, I checked the commentary, and it, was, it used the term referring to the fact that the firstborn of a family was, he had more, he had more than the second and thirdborn and mm-hmm. the others, mm-hmm. and it was saying the preeminent, it used the term preeminent. Is, is, is that what that might mean here, preeminent overall? Uh... Yes, yes. Um, the word is used differently, I think, in those two contexts. I, I agree with the concept of preeminence. I think here uh, Christ actually came back from the dead. Mm-hmm. So the, and, and this would be a genitive construction. We could go to the Greek and look at the genitive construction, the firstborn from the dead, and from the dead would be more of a location. He's the firstborn out of the dead or the dead ones. The firstborn of creation would be the firstborn, the one who acted on creation. So he's the subject acting on creation because that's what the passage tells us, that through him everything was created and without him nothing was made. John 1 and then Colossians 1 as well as Hebrews 1. So, yes. The other thing I wanted to ask about, we see the term grace to you and peace. Do we often make too much of that? It, it, was that not just a typical, like we have a letter, we say, Dear Joe, Dear Kent, was grace to you and peace, did that have much deeper theological significance, or was it just the way you started a letter? Great question. You always want to ask a Sunday school teacher about theology, yes. Um, the typical... Greek uh, greeting was kyrene, which, uh, from which we get the term grace. And that would be very typical in the, mo- in the first century uh, Greek world. But to say grace and peace is going into the realm of theology, into the realm of Christ- uh, Christianity, uh, Judaism into Christianity. Um, so those terms are, are definitely a Christian greeting. And God is the one that brings peace. He, he is also the one that gives favor. And I want to talk more about that in a moment. Okay. God declares that he will make the king in David's line, the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So if you turn to Psalm 89, and both, uh, uh, both of the commentaries that I consulted do refer to Psalm 89, um, as a background for verse 5 here in chapter 1 of Revelation. It, I don't know if you're familiar with Psalm 89. What verse? Uh, 27, I believe. <clears throat> uh, but let me, let's start at, at toward the beginning of the psalm. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. 
For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. So what's happening? So here the psalmist is building on the Davidic covenant, the promises that God made to David, right? And he's saying, man, Lord, this is good stuff. Uh, you made these wonderful promises to our uh, our forefather, and we're trusting you for it. Now, look later in the psalm. Verse 38, but now you have cast off and reject. You're full of wrath against your anointed. It's like, wait a minute, what's going on here? You made these promises, but look at, look at our condition. It's like you're mad at us. So he's asking this, this really hard question. Lord, are, aren't you a God of promises? But our situation is so contrary to the promises. Now, in the middle of all that, go ahead and read the, the rest of the psalm. You'll enjoy it. He returns to his faith, but he asks the hard questions as well. So um, in verse 27, the psalmist is recounting all of these things that, that God promised to David and the implications of those things. And then he says in verse 27, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So here we have a, a psalm that concerns the Davidic covenant. And in this psalm that references the Davidic covenant, the psalmist recognizes that God will make David's greater son the highest of the kings of the earth. Revelation 1, how is Christ described? The firstborn from the dead, the faithful witness, the ruler of the kings on earth. Now, mind you, he isn't that yet, because he's not on earth as the ruler of the kings of the earth, but he will be. He's coming. Okay? Yes, Aldrich? The way I interpret that, and again, it seems as though he's not accepting any responsibility for what they have done to them to deserve what they've gotten. In other words, he's blasphemy. He's not blasphemy. He's he's railing at God. How can you do this? How about your own responsibility? What part do you play in that? Mm -hmm. That's where I came from. You know, when I read this, some, you know, it's like you want. Do you have cheese? Any cheese to go with that wine? It. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. <coughs> Take, read read the psalm through. I think Aldridge is is uh, spot on. The psalmist comes back, like I said, to affirm his trust in the Lord. And you and I will be in situations like that, won't we? We will have life situations that don't make sense, but we're going to get there. God will make a way. I hope we're going to get there. Uh, and we'll finish, Lord willing, on that note. Now, as Fanning says here, the world rulers will resist his reign, but his triumph is sure. Remember Psalm 2 that we read last week? And God mocks the kings of the earth. And they want to defect. They want to apostatize. They want to say, ah, nope, don't need your sovereign rule on our lives. And God mocks at them. 
and says, oh, really? You think you're all of that and a bag of chips? Hmm. Okay. Um, that's an expression from a former friend of mine. Okay, let's look at Revelation 11. 11.15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, mind you, Christ hasn't come yet, but the proclamation is there and it's about to take place. And let's go to chapter 17. Let's enjoy these verses as we're working our way through the, the first chapter. 1714. They, okay, let me back up. Verse 12. The ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast, with the Antichrist. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And then, of course, chapter 19 with the second advent of Christ that's recorded uh, for us there. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he conquers the Antichrist and the false prophet and the armies of the world that are uh, assembled against him. So, uh, yes, the world rulers will resist, but his triumph is sure. Now, John also ascribes to Christ glory and dominion forever and ever. So, um, okay. Let me read verses 5 and 6 again with you. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth. So in those three descriptive phrases of Christ, we have reference, I believe, made to his incarnation and his ministry on earth, his resurrection, and then his second coming and the and <coughs> second advent and the ministry that he will have on earth again. Do you see how that moves? So we've got incarnation, resurrection, second advent, all right there in those three uh, descriptions. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, huh? And made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so John ascribes to Christ the glory and dominion forever and ever. After recounting <coughs> these three things about Christ... Interestingly, the tense of the participles. Notice the tense of the verbs here. So, it says, to him who loves us. Now, 
Pastor Chuck today um, made an admission that probably many of us can identify with. It's hard for us to be on the receiving end of gifts and kindness. We would much rather give and, and express care and concern for others than receive it ourselves. One of those things that's difficult for me is to receive somebody's love. To receive God's love is tough. Do you have that, that problem? Maybe you don't have a hang-up about that. Uh, to think that God loves me, I don't know why. And uh, yeah, it, now don't agree. Don't agree with me here. Okay. <laughs> um, exactly. We don't deserve it, do we? And that's why it's grace, and that's why it's mercy. Um, but to 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 have here in this final book of God's inspired writ say that Jesus <coughs> loves us. Ongoing, present tense. He loves us. Wow. Hmm. I'm not quite sure what to do with that. But it has to be wonderful, doesn't it? He continues to love us. And then it talks about what he's already done for us. Right? Because it says that he... Uh, freed us from our sins by his blood and he made us a kingdom those are past tense verbs he continually loves us he's also made us he's freed us and he's made us so again this looks like past tense present tense and future okay in the in the present he loves us in the future he's made us to be priests so we have service to do in the past tense, he's made us to be a kingdom and priests. So one of the great things about God's word is that uh, it's smarter than we are. It's infinite. And it will say things to us that expand our minds and expand our thinking, unlike any other uh, piece of literature, I think. Okay. Yes. I have a question. So when you're talking about the tenses, Mm-hmm. Uh, of his love. He says, uh, freed us from our sins and made us a kingdom. So, that and that there, is that future or is that he made, no, the kingdom of God. We, we are, we're in this kingdom already. <coughs> we're part of this kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's the present. Because, because, and then to separate it, reach from his God to, and so is there a transition occurring here in this sentence? Okay, that's great question. Okay, so <laughs> what we have going on. Hey, before you say anything, can I just follow up on what he says? Sure. Because mine says, um, maybe I lost my place. Uh, has made us to be a kingdom. That's what mine okay. says. Okay, okay. What verse is that again? It, it, it should be verse that's six. six. Verse 6. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Okay, so what we have going on, the him who loves us is a participle. And it's not the main verb, okay? But it's it's descriptive of Christ 
who is told, uh, who is told to us or revealed to us as one who loves us. He, he continually loves us. What he's done is he has freed us from our sins and made us a kingdom and priests. So we could translate it in loving us, he's freed us and made us. Um, the the past tense verses uh, verbs help us understand the way he demonstrated his love. But I think it's very legitimate to say he continues to love. It's an ongoing present tense kind of love. Kent, yes. My interpretation says the same thing as Linda's. It says okay. future tense. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't say it doesn't say made us a kingdom. It says made us to be a kingdom. Okay. My version says made us a kingdom. All right. Okay. This is All right. Can I be whatever? My to me is italicized. Yours is the yeah. The to be is italicized. And they've added it. So what does that tell us? Okay. Are you seeing my screen? No, that, that's my home screen. Okay, so I'm just going to the Greek text. I'm, I'm going to uh, read down through it. Okay. Um, yeah, because one would be present tense, the other would be... Yes, exactly. Okay, so at the end of verse 5, to the one who loves us, that's the participial phrase, and that's present tense, to the one who loves us, and then loosed us. Now that's another participle, but that's an aorist participle. That's a past tense participle. And loosed us from our sins uh, by his blood. And then if we go to verse 6, and made us, that's a finite verb. Okay. Okay. He made us a kingdom. Now, that would, that would be the question. Did, did he make us to be a kingdom? Did he make us a kingdom? What exactly is, is the translation of there or the understanding, the interpretation of that phrase? I think he goes on to explain it. Priest to our God and uh, uh, to, yeah, to God and his father um, <coughs> to whom be the glory and the power forever and ever. I don't know that I can say much more about it. Matt, did you have your hand up for a moment? It's, the, the word B is not in there. Right. And it's kind of what's, uh, what is called a constative error. It's just something that's, just like it says, we're called, predestined, uh, justified, glorified. All of those are in that error's tense, finished. We're not glorified, though. But it sees it as a whole. Right, right. So often the scriptures will say something about our present standing in Christ. It, and... Uh, which is more active, if I, if I can use the term. It will also address things about our state in Christ. I think what Matt's referring to there, we've been called, we've been justified, we've been predestined, etc. That's our state, but are we in heaven yet? No, we're not there yet. Yeah, Matt, go ahead. We're, we're a kingdom now. It's just like it says, we're born again right now. We have eternal life now. He that has the Son hath life. It's not something we're going to have in the future. We are eternal beings now, and we have the eternal life in us now. It just hasn't reached its full manifestation. I mean, isn't that what the church is? It's a manifestation of of his. He's coming for his church, which is his kingdom. Okay, so 
I think we <laughs> I, I think we will want to think carefully here. And Matt and I Matt probably goes further into his understanding of kingdom right now than I do. Um, I see that Christ is on or is, or is at the Father's right hand. And we can obviously grant him glory and, and authority where he is. He has that. I'm looking forward more to the actual physical kingdom on earth, the Davidic, the restored Davidic throne and kingdom that, that is yet to come. Uh, but there are many people that see an already not yet feature of the kingdom where we're already kind of in the kingdom. We're enjoying some of the benefits of the kingdom, but the, the full kingdom is not yet. I would prefer to say, don't give me you know, the already not yet business. We're in the church age. We're going to get to the kingdom. We, we look forward to the kingdom. We're going to uh, live right now in anticipation of the kingdom. Um, but I don't see enough of the kingdom aspects taking place right now to say that we're in the kingdom or that that it, it's that viable. Now, that's that that's a big theological discussion. And unfortunately, in, from my perspective, DTS has gone into the already not yet. I think they should have stayed in the church kingdom uh, distinction. But that's that's my opinion. Matt. So that helps you understand both spectrums here, okay, of, of the way we would understand uh, kingdom currently or in the future. Okay. He constitutes believers as royal priestly people to mediate pagan people to God. Think about this with me. First, and Peter says this in his first letter, <clears throat> Christ followers serve as mediators between lost people and God through their public allegiance to Christ, through sanctified uh, lives, sincere care of their fellow man, winsome witness, and courageous martyrdom. We could rightly designate evangelists and missionaries as priests. Priest. all Christians are believer priests. Up, oh, oh, sorry. Thank you. So, I don't know if you've thought about your Christian faith in terms of a priesthood, but here's a good opportunity to do so, <clears throat> because we are told that he has made us a kingdom, and he describes that kingdom as being priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. It, if we were to look backwards to the Mosaic Covenant, 
uh, in Exodus 19 at the uh, beginning of the establishment of the Mosaic Covenant. What does God say to, uh, to Moses, to the Israelites? He says, now therefore, this is uh, Exodus 19, 5, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. In other words, if you are willing to enter into a covenant relationship with me, I'm going to be your master, I'll be your suzerain, you be my people. If you're willing to enter into that covenant relationship with me, where I'm your only master, you are my chosen people out from all of the other peoples on earth, if, if you're willing to do that, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Oh, so Israel was to be a royal priesthood that would mediate between God the Father and all of the pagan peoples. Oh, and now we are told that we have been made a kingdom, priests to our God, uh, to Christ God and Father. Hmm. I like that idea. Okay, so let's talk about some applications. Here we go. Yes, Randy. How would you define priest? Okay, so I would I would understand a priest in in terms of serving in a mediatorial role, where we've got one person here that's estranged from one person over here that's estranged, and they would come together. Now, in this case, God is an offended person, and and the offender needs to be mediated needs to be reconciled do you have another thought in mind no no i just thought that there's probably i don't know that i've ever sat. i I understand it that way but i don't know that i've ever sat down and just said you know what what is really the definition i thought maybe some other people did that too and we'd be good to clarify as we go into this yeah so if we look if we use the um the Old Testament, the, the tabernacle, as an example, you know, what what was the purpose of the tabernacle? It allowed God to live in the camp. It allowed God to live in the midst of his people because they would come and, uh, if you will, mediate their sinfulness through the sacrificial system to the holy God. And if they didn't, if they, if they didn't maintain uh, their loyalty to him and demonstrate that through their sacrifices and say, okay, you know, these are the things that we do that you've told us to do to allow you to live in our camp, to be part of us, then, uh, then we understand that we lose fellowship, that we lose your, your favorable presence among us. Does that make sense? Okay. So, the applications. Do you live an authentic Christian life? That's a tough question, isn't it? Do you view your Christianity as a priestly service to God? In other words, um, and especially in our day and age, uh, but it's been true all through the church age, I think, that our best witness is our testimony that we can share with someone. 
especially when they see in us authentic Christianity. Uh, when they see a sincere believer, man, woman, uh, whatever, that's, that truly is, is enjoying his or her relationship with God through Christ. And in doing so, we have the privilege of maybe helping somebody else who's estranged come to God. Do you offer sacrifices of worship? You know, the New Testament talks about those, don't they? In Hebrews 13 and other places, sacrifices of worship, of devotion, of uh, financially supporting Christian ministry, of prayer in him. Think in terms of being a priest, and you have the privilege of serving the Lord through those sacrifices. We don't come to church to get. We come to church to give. In the process, we get. But this is the Lord's day. This is the day that we come to worship him. (coughs) I, I, I hope I like the music. I hope the pastor says something that's meaningful. But those things can be set aside if, in fact, What we do at church enables us to worship the true and living God who loves us through his son. And if that's accomplished, great. Then the the church has accomplished its major role. Has it not? I think so. Do you yearn to see others reconciled to God? Are you willing to step into a mediating role for others to be reconciled? To God. Okay, enough with the questions you say. Do you pray for others to trust Christ?
Okay, notice on the whiteboard, uh, I've written a number of points up here, four points. Uh, we're not all the way through to verse 8 yet, but I want to draw today's lesson together, okay, and kind of summarize it. So we have grace and peace that are, uh, that are given in the greeting to the seven churches. That, that, uh, or those grace and peace elements are from the triune God. Wonderful. To Christ be the glory and dominion forever. Now, so just think in terms of broad strokes here, broad concepts. Grace and peace are coming to Christians from the triune God. To Christ is the glory and dominion forever. He is coming and everyone will see him. We haven't gotten there yet. We will. And God is eternally sovereign. What's the point? God will make a way. For these Christians in the in the first century, in the Roman pagan polytheistic society in Asia Minor, God will make a way for them to live faithfully uh, to their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, in 2022, God will make a way for us to live faithfully to the Lord Jesus Christ 
in spite of what's going on <clears throat> here in America or over in Europe or in Africa or anywhere else around the world. God knows how to sustain people. And we are in the business as Christians of helping others who want to find uh, eternal and abundant life in God. We are in the business of helping them do that. We don't reconcile people by handcuffing people and dragging them to the Lord. Okay? We reconcile people when they are interested and, and are looking for someone who knows God and that can introduce them. So let people know that you know God. Live an authentic Christian life so that they will recognize well, that's a that's a Christian. That person knows God. Maybe they can help me. Also, know God. Sixth up.